Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts. We're beginning a new series in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story about Jesus' first followers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of the kingdom with the world around them. And it begins, if you remember, the book of Acts begins with Jesus personally commissioning his followers, and then it ends with this wide open door for that work to continue through our lives. What were the priorities of the early church? What prophecies were fulfilled? What boundaries were broken? What prejudices were undone? How did it become the multi-ethnic, counter-cultural, worldwide movement that it is today and that we get to be a part of? And so we're picking up actually where we left off back in October of 2019. If you were with us then, we, um, we looked at the first part of Acts back then. Verse, uh, chapters 1 through 12. And so today we're picking up where we left off in Acts 13. Acts is a window into the heart and the mission and the unstoppable love of Jesus through his first followers. And it's a crazy ride. And we've been given a front row seat through the book of Acts. In Acts 13, we find this church that is meeting in the ancient city of Antioch. It is a diverse, sacrificial, and mission-minded church. It's been a model church for centuries. And what what happens in Acts 13 is that we, we go behind the scenes and we see what was central to this thriving church community. It's a dependency on the Spirit of God, the very helper that Jesus sent for his followers to depend on. Let's read about it. Acts 13, beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, Mark, to assist them. And when they had, done, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos... They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. He was astonished 
at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you give us eyes to see? By your spirit, would you help us to engage this story, this text, with everything in us? That you'd put your finger on areas, Lord, that we need to grow in. Any misconceptions or fears or or doubts, things that we've been wrestling with, that, Lord, you'd help us in those areas. Would you grow us and renew us in our our commitment to be a spirit-dependent church, spirit-dependent people who are eagerly looking to you and to your will? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things I pray we see here in our text. First, the Spirit speaks. Second, the Spirit sends. And third, the Spirit strengthens. First, the Spirit speaks. Now, I have to let you know, over the last few weeks, I've had this renewed desire to pursue the work and presence of the Holy Spirit. To first, acknowledge him frequently. And then second, to want all that he has for me. I'm talking the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, whether they be spontaneous or planned. I I want to pursue the work of God the Holy Spirit more and more in my life. That's been a desire. And so I've sat down with my family, uh, just individually, my boys, uh, I sat down with them and I communicated this desire. I think they thought they were in trouble because I was doing this individually, (laughs) but I, I wanted them to know, listen, I want the work of the Holy Spirit to be more evident in my life. Now, the Spirit of God is working in so many ways in us, and in, 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 in me, and, and through us as a community. But what I'm saying, what I was communicating to my kids, is that I, I, I want there to be a, a growing desire for him to work in me. I, I want to be more sensitive in the moment when I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with someone to, to speak a word of encouragement to them where they're at, to pray for them, to, to trust that the Lord will... will Give me the strength to speak the gospel to someone when I know it's going to be hard. To believe God, to heal, to renew, to deliver, to set free. Now, I've been doing that, but I want it more. That's what I communicated with my kids. That's what I've communicated with the leadership team here. Church, Jesus knew the central role the Holy Spirit would play in the mission of his followers. He knew that we would need a helper, a a companion, a counselor, a comforter, and that's who the Holy Spirit is. He is God, the Holy Spirit, who goes before us and equips us for the mission that we've been called on. He knew, Jesus knew that we would need empowerment and strength. I want that empowerment. I want that strength. I want to be sensitive to his guidance. I want to be used to strengthen and encourage others, as I've just said. I want to be mindful of the mission that Jesus has called me to, and he's called us on together collectively. And so with that desire burning in my heart, I was so encouraged when I began to explore Acts 13. I hadn't read it before that desire had just fallen on on me, and then I started exploring Acts 13. I'm like, Lord, you're so good. You're so kind. Because we see the Spirit working in this model church in so many ways. But before we we dive into Acts 13, I want to give you a little background on the church of Antioch. Look with me in Acts 11, beginning in verse 19. We're going to learn how this church even started. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen 
traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, or to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, so this church began because of persecution. First followers of Jesus were scattered because of the persecution that was first brought to to Stephen. If you remember, Stephen, a disciple of Jesus, was stoned to death. But it pushed them into areas that they wouldn't have gone. And they, they took the good news of Jesus with them. And so here, in the city of Antioch, a new church made up of predominantly non Jews was born. So Antioch was a capital city of the Roman province of Syria, located in modern day Turkey. It was the third largest city of the day, next to Rome and next to Alexandria. There were over half a million people in this city. It was a cultural hub. It was a crossroads of culture and trade. It was a melting pot. Beautiful architecture, many temples, all kinds of stuff happening in this city. It was politically explosive. It was racially divided. It was immoral. It was polytheistic. And this is where the gospel was brought. And this is where the gospel thrived. The city of Antioch. Now in chapter 12 of Acts, what we find is that Barnabas and Saul, well in chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, they're teaching in Antioch for a year. And then they find out about a famine and a need from the church in Jerusalem. And so they collect an offering and, and for Jerusalem. And they head back to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 12, we run into James, who was the leader of the early church, the brother of John, the apostle, disciple of Jesus. James is beheaded. Sends shockwaves throughout the the church. Peter is imprisoned. His execution just days away, and then he is miraculously rescued from a prison cell. And then in chapter 12, also what we find is Herod, the one who had been persecuting them, the one who would try to uh, stop the word of the Lord from, from going forth, he himself died. But the word of the Lord went forth in power. And then Barnabas and Saul, they return back to Antioch. And, and that's, that's where we're at. Acts 13. And in Acts 13, we're introduced to the church's diverse leadership team. It's a plurality of leaders, of teachers, and of prophets. And they're representing Cyprus and North Africa and Tarsus and Jerusalem, various ethnicities and backgrounds. It's a beautiful team. And here's what it says about them. This church, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So they're gathered together, worshiping the Lord and fasting. And what happens? The Spirit speaks to them there. 
But let's hit the pause for a second and ask ourselves, what's fasting? It's, it's one of those things that I think we, we forget about. It's something we actually can practice today. Fasting involves going without food for a time in order to devote yourself to seeking God's guidance and direction. That's what the church was doing. That's what we, we walk in on. They're worshiping, they're fasting, they're praying, they're crying out to God for direction. Now, you know, just from chapters 11 and 12, that a lot of stuff had gone down up to this point in the early church, right? A whole lot of opposition had gone down. Yet those in Antioch had experienced great renewal and revival. They were seeing Hellenists and Jews, I mean, coming to faith in Jesus, this beautiful expression of diversity within uh, 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 this grand city, this growing church. So here they are, followers of Jesus, mindful of the call to make disciples. They know that Jesus had called them. Uh, Jesus himself said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And check this out. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And then he leaves. <laughs> but he sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to empower the church for the work of evangelism and ministry, of speaking the truth of who he is to a people who desperately need it. The people of Antioch had experienced that grace but here they are, followers of Jesus, mindful of the call to continue to make disciples. And they're wondering, what's next? How, how do we do this? Where do we go from here? Who do we send? We, we know the call is to make disciples. We know the call is for all nations. We're not gonna be content with just Antioch. So how do we do this? And I think that's where they were, crying out. There was a sense of urgency, of eagerness. There's a sense of dependency and expectation. One author says that there was this atmosphere of urgent desire. I think that really gets at it. This urgent desire to walk out the call that Jesus has given us. We want this. And they're willing to wait on the Lord. They're seeking him. But their waiting involved fasting and praying, worship with sincerity and sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit. In church, I want to learn from this example. I want us to be a church that, is, that we're waiting this way. We're crying out to the Lord with this urgent desire for his will to be done. The disciples would be made, yes, here in the city of St. Pete, but Lord, help us to do that effectively and help us to reach people beyond our borders, that that would be our heart. So notice what didn't happen. The church didn't just have this brainstorming meeting with a whiteboard and they <laughs> All this careful planning and strategy, though, if you know me, you know I'm not, I'm not opposed to careful planning. There's a, there's, there's a place for that. But it was in the place of waiting on the Spirit for fresh direction that the, the text goes on to say, the Holy Spirit said. Well, what did the Holy Spirit say? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. How did the Holy Spirit speak? I, I think the Holy Spirit spoke through those who had a prophetic gifting in the early church. We're told that the leadership team was made up of, of, of prophets and teachers. I, I believe that there was someone there in their midst that courageously and humbly, after much prayer and fasting, said, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is saying this. 
Let's set apart Barnabas and Saul. They all knew. They all knew that Saul was called by Jesus on the road to Damascus to reach Gentiles, that he would be a light to non-Jews. How it would all unfold. I mean, sure, he was doing that in Antioch, but they knew that, that, that Saul had this call on his life given by Jesus. And so here they are praying, earnestly desiring the Lord's will. And they were willing. They were willing to send two of their key leaders to start a new work. That's important for us to see. They weren't consumed with building the church of Antioch only. To get, to get the church bigger and better. And, and there didn't seem to be any reluctance on their part to send the key leaders. I mean, you hear someone say, send Barnabas and Saul. Oh, no, not Barnabas and Saul. I mean, they've been with us for so long. We love Barnabas and Saul. Why Barnabas? Why Saul? It's not easy to send people. Have you ever heard that we, you should send your best? That churches should send their best? I believe this is where we get that. We should send our best. Or we should send those who are very gifted and called by God. We shouldn't hold anyone back from walking out the call on their life. We should position ourselves as a church, and I'm praying that, that we do, and I, I believe we have, but I want to more and more position ourselves to send people well. When it's clear from the Spirit that individuals are called to go somewhere that we ourselves may not be called to go, but we can cheer them on and send them, we want to do that. Then they prayed and they fasted some more. All right, they heard from the Spirit to send Paul, or Saul, I keep saying Paul. His name is Paul, but we'll get to that. To send Barnabas and Saul out. They're like, okay, we've heard from, from the Lord to do this, and now we need you, Lord. And so there's more prayer and fasting. Then they laid their hands on them as a, as a way to bless them and commission them, and they sent them off. Now listen, obedience, obedience to this, it tested their character and it tested their faith. And church, it will test ours as well. Because for the church of Antioch, sending Barnabas and Saul meant that a chapter in their story was coming to a close, and that's never easy. But it also meant that a new chapter was being written. I need your help in this. I want to have the courage and humility to send people out. I want us to. And believe that even though a chapter is coming to a close, when we send people out, a new chapter is being written both in our life and in theirs. And have faith for it. I don't want to be reluctant in sending people who are gifted and called by God to be somewhere else. I don't want to try to hold on to people who aren't meant to stay with us for the rest of the journey here in this city. We want to be eagerly sending others out. And so I need your help. And you may need my help as well in that. But let's celebrate that. Let's pray that we as a church can celebrate sending others out and, and getting behind them well. This is the first time that we read about a church sending people across borders. And not because they were persecuted, but because there was this urgent desire to obey the call that Jesus had given them. Have you ever experienced a decision in life that didn't feel all that exciting in the moment, but when you look back, you're like, wow, that was groundbreaking. 
that actually changed the course of my entire life. And if you made that, if you knew that that decision was going to change the course of your life, it would have been really weird in that moment. But looking back, you're like, no, that was, that was groundbreaking. Well, here we have a decision in the Church of Antioch. They could not have known the worldwide mission movement that would begin from their obedience to the Lord in this moment. But that's exactly what happened. The groundbreaking decision that Antioch made, the church of Antioch made, was to pray and to obey. Seems so simple, yet so powerful. So the Spirit speaks. The Spirit spoke. Second, the Spirit sends. And, and so they send, they send Barnabas and Saul. But verse 4 says that the Holy Spirit sent them out. So which is it? It's both. There's an emphasis here on the Spirit sending Barnabas and Saul out. The Spirit spoke. The Spirit is sending. The Spirit's involvement is emphasized. God's missionary heart is being emphasized. God is sent and ascending God. Think about this. He sent his Son, who then sent the Holy Spirit to be with us and empower us for the mission that he's called us on, that we might be sent and send others. A lot of sending going on. We are sent. You might say, well, I moved here for a job. <laughs> or, but, but the Lord is the one who draws our boundary lines. We are sent to this city to be uh, a light, to be a light to those around us, to invite others to see Jesus for who he is, to hold up high the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our own imagination or some made-up Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible in all his beauty and glory. That is our privilege here in this city. We've been sent here. We want to live sent, but we also want to send. And when given the opportunity to send people um, in places that are unreached or that have very little gospel representation or very little church presence, let's get behind that. Let's do that. The Spirit led them to send beyond their own borders to a people with little or no representation of Jesus. That's beautiful. Let's pray that that would happen here. Barnabas and Saul, along with John Mark, this is the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and he's also the cousin of Barnabas. They decide to go to Cyprus. This is an island, and, and this is actually Barnabas' home island. It just seems like a natural thing for them to do. They go back to where Barnabas is from, and don't picture some small island. This is a large, highly developed island with cities that are highly developed with temples and aqueducts and theaters and gymnasiums. And so they start on one end of the island, and they work their way to the other end, and they follow this pattern of going to the synagogues, the local synagogues, where there are Jews and there are um, God-fearers or Gentiles who have embraced Judaism, and they're they're speaking the truth of who Jesus is to those in these synagogues because those in the synagogues, this is strategic now, they've already renounced the idols of their city and they're looking to the one true God and now here Paul and Barnabas come along, Saul and Barnabas come along and they're preaching Jesus to those in, in the synagogue and how he's the fulfillment of everything they've been longing for. That's the pattern. Third, the Spirit strengthens them to do just that. The Spirit speaks, the Spirit sends, the Spirit strengthens. We're given a story that drives home 
the fact that the Spirit strengthens. There are a lot of stories that took place on this island of Cyprus. We're given this one in verses 6 through 12. They met a magician, this shaman who was friends with a politician. So already you know it's, it's going to get weird. You got a magician and a politician hanging out. So the magician is said to be a, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Jesus was a popular name back in that day. Maybe this man was known for his fortune telling. Maybe he was known for conjuring up demonic spirits and demonstrating somehow his power and control over them. Maybe he was a healer or a guide. I believe he was the spiritual counselor and advisor to this this man that we're introduced to, Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus was the proconsul, which is a high-ranking official. He held a place of leadership and authority. And the text goes out of its way to communicate with us, the reader, that this is an intelligent man. He isn't a pushover. From other historical writings, we learn about this man and his son, actually, that they have a history of distinguished service within the Roman Empire. Elimus, the magician. That's what his name means. Literally, one who knows. One translator said, Dr. Know-it-all. He opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from faith in Jesus. Why? I believe this magician is afraid to lose his influence and his power. He's threatened. So much so, he tries to use his influence against the gospel. Behind the scenes, I'm sure, having conversations like, hey, do not listen to what they're saying. This is false. Don't listen. One author writes this, when a new work of God is going on, you can expect opposition, difficulty, problems, and confrontation. You can expect this. When a new work of God is going on, you can expect opposition. That's what they've encountered. But let me show you something in Ephesians. What's behind this opposition? Ephesians chapter 6, look with me, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Hey, listen, we know what's behind this opposition. We know that the deceiver does not want the truth of the gospel to go forth in power in my transforming lives. He didn't want it on the island of Cyprus. He doesn't want it in the city of St. Pete. Saul and Barnabas, they, they met this opposition. Opposition in gospel ministry When we're trying to bring Jesus to others, please know this. Don't let opposition surprise you. It shouldn't surprise you. In fact, if you experience opposition, if you experience confrontation, if you experience difficulty and problems when you're trying to bring Jesus to others, that's a good sign. Did you catch what happened, though, in verse 9? It's subtle. Saul, I can finally call Paul because he changed his name. Paul is his Roman name. And it signifies a mark in the text that he is now beginning to walk in the call that God has placed on his life, that Jesus has given him to be a light to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. A shift is taking place. But this magician, oh, he's coming against that very work. 
This magician is spitting out lies and deception. He became a roadblock to stop the gospel, and Paul had had enough. And so what does he do? He calls out this magician for, for who he is, for what he's doing, as if to say enough. Get out of the way. Enough. It says the Spirit fills Paul. Paul had the Holy Spirit. When we experience filling, this is empowerment in the moment for us to take a stand. Empowerment to walk out our faith in Jesus. Empowerment to speak the truth of the gospel. Empowerment to stand against the work of the enemy. Empowerment, strength to take a stand. The Spirit then gives Paul a direct and specific word for this magician. And the judgment of God fell on the magician for a time. The one who boasted that he could see, the one who boasted that he knew everything, needed others to lead him by the hand. He was blind for a time. Did the man repent? We don't know his story. What we do know is in verse 12, the proconsul believed. He saw what happened, and we're also told that he was astonished, or literally he was being amazed at the teaching of Jesus. And so the teachings about Jesus, the teachings of Jesus were the foundation of this express faith from Sergius Paulus. Now, so we know Barnabas and Paul were teaching Sergius Paulus, the, uh, the proconsul, they were teaching him the way of Jesus And so then he finally embraces Jesus after seeing what took place to the magician and after being amazed at the teachings of the Lord. He realized this is something worth devoting my entire life to. Okay, so maybe you are here and you have been, you've been coming to local church for some time now. You've been exploring the way of Jesus. Maybe you are like Sergius Paulus and you are realizing that this is worth devoting your entire life to. Maybe you've seen the work of the Spirit. You didn't know to call it that at the time. Maybe you've seen the work of the Spirit in in this community expressed through kindness and hospitality and love and courageous acts and humility. Sergius Paulus saw the work of the Spirit on this magician who boasted of his own authority and he was astonished by the teachings of Jesus and he put his faith in Jesus. A beautiful demonstration of humility, of surrender. And I want you to be encouraged by this, church. There is no dark force, there is no magic, there is no system or power greater than the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no lifestyle or behavior, there is no position in life worth living for and giving yourself to over and above what we find and discover through Christ. And the good news, church, is that where the Spirit sends, the Spirit strengthens. And so what does that mean for the mission we're on here in St. Pete and and beyond the borders, our borders? It means that where the Spirit sends, he strengthens. I, I find encouragement in that. I need strength. I need strength. So Acts 13 has brought us behind the scenes to see what was central to a church that did not really know that it would change the world or become this model for centuries. They couldn't have known that. But what did they know? What did this church in Antioch know? They knew the Spirit speaks, the Spirit sends, the Spirit strengthens. Do you know that? Are we going to run with that? Do we know that? And if we know that, what does that do to us? 
How does that help shape us as a spirit-dependent community? That God the Spirit will speak to us as we are urgently desiring his will to be done here in this city and beyond our borders. I just cannot wait to see what he's going to do. We've had the privilege to be a church for a little over two years. He's done so many great things. He's been so faithful. What's next? And like the church in Antioch, we might wonder, how do we do this? What's next? Um, Should we get out the whiteboard? (laughs) How about we pray? How about we fast? How about we worship together? How about we wait on the Lord and trust him to speak and send and strengthen? He's going to do it. The Spirit is the very helper Jesus sent for his followers to depend on. That's exciting. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what you've done in Jesus. It's hard to grasp. It's, It's beautiful. You intervening, you getting in the way of our stubborn, sinful rebellion, you providing a way for us to really know you, you laying a foundation through Christ, the faith in which we stand, and now you empowering us by the Spirit to walk it out. We want to we do that. We want to do that, Lord. We want to be increasingly dependent on the Spirit. And so would you help us as a church to, to be that? We're looking into a future that we don't know all the the stuff that's gonna happen, but, but you do. And, and so we wanna just lean on you in every way through prayer. We wanna look to you with eyes of faith. You're so good and you're strong. We thank you that we can do this.